message from Valley Bible Fellowship. It is our sincere prayer that you're richly blessed through the ministry of the Word. For more information about VBF, visit our website at vbf.org. You guys ready to handle some business? Uh-oh. It's a little scary. Should I call security? You guys are good, you guys are good right? All right. Um, <laughs> how you guys doing? Yeah? Yeah? You didn't pray hard enough last night. The Dodgers lost, but that's okay. I'll, uh, I won't talk about baseball all day. It's October, though, so I've got to talk about it a little bit. But uh, anyway, I hope you guys are doing good today. I'm going to talk to you guys about the fear advantage, which seems uh, like an oxymoron, but the truth is... If you have fear, you can change your mindset to where you use it as an advantage, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, I am here this morning to talk to you guys about your own lives, but also about a God who loves you, who cares about you, right? And, um, and he's real, and he's good. And I know it, all, it doesn't always feel that way, Right? If we uh, lived our faith by feelings alone, we would be all over the map, right? We would be up and down, sideways, whatever. Like, we'd be in big trouble. And um, so if you guys are here this morning, you're like, hey, I'm just not feeling it today, just acknowledge that fact and realize it's okay. It's all right that you're not feeling it today. Nevertheless, I want you to be in a place where you can accept and receive what God has for you today, all right? Because God is good, and he always talks to us, and he's always sharing with us. And even when he's silent, he's still there, right? He's still here, I should say. And so today we're going to talk about fear, identifying, capturing, and utilizing your fear. And uh, hopefully this message has the ability to free you of your fears. It's funny because there are other words we use for fear, right? Um, If I were to ask you today, hey, are you a fearful person? You'd be like, no. Then I would ask you, again, are you an, an anxious person? You'd be like, man, a little bit. Or if you're a man, I would say, you have a lot of stress in your life, right? And men would say, yeah, a lot of stress. Well, that's the same thing as fear, right? Stress is caused by fear, basically. So, uh, so we all deal with it, and it's okay. And in October, I like to talk about this subject because, you know, it's, it, it's like the weather gets cooler, the moon gets brighter, you start hearing things in your house at night, Right? You know what I'm talking about, right? It gets spooky. It gets weird, but it's fun at the same time. And so we're going to talk about fear. We're going to talk about fear uh, and how we can use it. Anyway, you know this. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for this day. Lord, today is the day that you've made. And Lord, we will rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, we will be happy because today is a gift and it's an opportunity And maybe we don't see it as that today, but I pray, Lord, that we would see it as an opportunity to connect with you. Lord, we need you. It's been a tough couple of years, and I think that we're feeling the weight of that even now, Lord, maybe even more so. So, Father, we need you. We pray that you'd speak to us. We pray that you just take the clutter away. 
And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. So I've been doing this thing lately where um, it's an exercise of mind where I've been stopping what I'm doing and I've been taking 30 seconds. I tried to do two minutes and I couldn't do it. And, and that's, uh, I have focus issues, whatever. But I, I want to take 30 seconds every single day and focus on only God. Just for God's sake. Just focus on him only, right? So we're going to do that. We're going to do that practice right now. And we're going to try to get into the habit, hopefully, if you guys want to join me in this, of doing this every single day. Because if you can get in the habit of just thinking of God first at the beginning of your day and not thinking of anything else, then that could change your entire perspective. That will cause you to, to learn a discipline that will change everything in your life. So it's not so easy to do. So the first thing I want you to do, okay, is I want you to think of the one thing that is bothering you today that you might worry about or have anxiety about or have stress about or maybe even be fearful of. Think of that one thing. Now let's close our eyes and let's take that thing and let's set it aside. Set it aside. Okay? Set it aside. And right now we're going to take 30 seconds and think of God. Take a deep breath. Now, if we do that every day, your life will be completely changed, right? It's called meditation, and I know that it gets a bad uh, rap, but it's all about thinking of God and knowing who he is and understanding who he is. When Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, when he sees a vision of God, he sees him on the throne, and these angels are ministering to him, and they're, and they're praising God. And as he sees God, he starts to see a reflection of who he is or who he isn't, basically. He starts to see that he's a man who is unclean, who needs, who needs God, who's unworthy of God. And as he starts to feel this feeling of unworthiness, the angel takes a coal and puts it on his lips and, and cleanses him of his sin, and only then he's able to say, here I am, send me. And I think that that's a beautiful picture of what God does. When we think of him, we think of, okay, I am not worthy, but yet I have a father who loves me. I have a father who cares about me, who is also the God of the universe, the God of the stars, the sky, the mountains, the sea. This God actually loves me. And Yes, I am unworthy, but when I acknowledge who he is and I see who I am, then that's when things start to happen. That's when things start to change. And so today as we talk about fear, we're going to talk about these little tiny issues inside of our minds that keep us from acknowledging that God, right? And if we can just learn to use our fear instead of be uh, uh, controlled by our fear, then, then life will be good. So we're going to get right into it, all right? So... Um, we are born uh, with two innate fears, okay? We're born with two fears that uh, right as soon as you come out of the womb, you have these built-in, built-in fears. The two fears are fear of heights, okay? 
and fear of loud noises. Fear of heights and fear of loud noises. Now, my little one-year-old, uh, I can see this in her. She, if she's crawling around on the bed, our bed's kind of high, she'll crawl to the edge and kind of look over, and she's always kind of known, you know, as soon as she gets crawl, she knew to, to be careful there, not to fall over the edge, right? Or if she hears the loud noises, now that she's starting to talk, she'll say loud, or I noticed that she notices when she notices these noises when she was younger. And, and, and so these, there's these two innate fears, right? Fear of, uh, of heights and fear of loud noises. Every other fear, Fear is learned. Every, every, every other fear is learned. Uh, Chapman University does a uh, study every year where they um, ask people what their greatest fears are. It's a survey. And um, I thought it was interesting because I, I looked at the list from 2014 and then I looked at the list from 2021. And uh, there's a difference, believe it or not. So 2014, the top fears were, number one, bugs, snakes, and other animals. Anybody afraid of uh, black widow spiders? What about snakes? Rattlesnakes? Yeah. So 2014, bugs, snakes, and other animals. Number two, blood or needles. Okay. Number three, claustrophobia. Okay. Some of you, okay. Number four, strangers, fear of strangers. Right. Number five, fear of clowns. Number six, fear of ghosts. Okay, so this is the list from 2014. Now, you guys know, and I know, we've toughened up since then, right? The, the list from 2021 is this. Number one, corrupt govern, government officials. Number two, people I love dying. Number three, a loved one contracting COVID. Number four, people I love becoming seriously ill. Number five, widespread civil unrest. And number six, economic or financial collapse. We've gotten tougher, but our fears have just changed. We've replaced one set of fears for another. Now that's interesting because it shows that we have it inside of ourselves naturally to fear, right? And it's not always bad to fear. It's bad when fear controls you. Think of the last decision that you made, big decision. Now, do you know what your motivation was in making the decision you made? Was it based on fear? Or was it based on prayer? Or was it based on common sense? What was it based on? It's interesting when we ask ourselves tough questions and we're honest with ourselves. If you want to be an honest person, by the way, it starts with being honest with yourself. How many of you guys regularly ask yourself tough questions and then honestly answer those questions. It's not easy to do, but it's called reflection, right? And it's good to do. So what a difference uh, six years makes, right? All these fears change, but we have them. Now, uh, like I said before, not all fear is bad. Some is okay. So I'm, I'm going to give you guys three uh, rational fears, and then I'm going to give you guys three irrational fears, okay? Um, and we're going to go through it, and, and I think this is going to be kind of eye-opening. So number one, uh, fear is of personal injury, right? Some of us fear personal injury, and that's rational. So this is the rational list. Rational fear of personal injury. Fire, right? It is purely rational to be afraid of fire or respect fire. How many of you guys, as an adult, you see a campfire and you just want to stick your hand in it? Anybody? No, you don't, right? Because we're not fools. Even my little one-year-old, when she sees that the stove is on, she'll walk into the kitchen and she'll look and she'll say, hot, hot, hot. Why? Because we have drilled it into her little head. 
because we don't want her to grab the boiling water or we don't want her to put her hand in the fire. So we've told her that's hot, that's bad. Sharp objects, right? It's kind of a thing. Uh, Cliff's edge. How many of you guys are afraid of heights? Heights. I used to not be afraid of heights until I had a snowboard injury where I went up and then I went down and I learned a lot about gravity. And then I became very fearful of heights after that. Um, so personal injury, completely rational, completely logical. Number two, external threats. Okay. What about that middle of the night break-in, right? That middle of the night break-in. You guys think about that happening? Right? How many of you guys, uh, you're locked and loaded? Don't, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. You'll, you're on a list already, I'm sure. But you, you got your gun, you got your bat, you've got your, uh, your, your, your weapon of choice, right? And you guys go around at night and lock the doors. It's like, it's rational to think this could happen, and so I'm going to be as safe as I can to make sure this doesn't happen, right? Or even somebody's stealing your catalytic converter, right? That's the thing. Um, it happens. It's crazy. I, in the middle of the night, the other night, I swore I heard a saw going off in my, this happened to my friend. He, he, he chased the guy down and uh, saved his catalytic converter, I think. Did he? I don't know. I was, we'll, find, we'll talk about that later. But uh, other external threats, mountain lions. How many of you guys like to go, uh, go in the mountains? You guys like to just trudge around in the hills? And the, so there's lions out there. There's, there's full on lions. Have you guys been to Calm? Have you seen those lions in the, uh, behind that little tiny mesh that I'm pretty sure they could get out of? Like they're huge. How many of you guys have seen a mountain lion in, in the wild? Anybody? It's scary. I, the first time I saw a mountain lion in the wild, I was shocked at how quiet it was, and I was shocked at how fast it was. They're agile, big beasts that have teeth that will eat you. Just to let you know, in case you guys are planning on a family hike or something later this afternoon. You're going to go out to wind wolves. Just keep your children in front of you, okay? Sharks. How many of you guys love the ocean, but you're afraid of sharks, right? It's the weirdest thing, that dark Pacific water. Thinking, man, what is under there? I don't know about you guys, but I just don't want to be eaten. That's, like my, that's my prayer. I'm like, God, please help me not to be eaten alive from the inside out or the outside in. Like, I don't want to be eaten by some little amoeba, and I don't want to be eaten by a shark or a mountain lion, right? But these are, these are rational fears. How many of you guys fear the IRS? Rational, right? Number three, personal failure. How many of you guys fear personal failure? In relationships, right? Or career or health or letting other people down. How many of you guys fear letting other people down? These are all rational. These three fears, personal injury, external threats, and personal failure. Those are three rational fears. Now I'm going to give you guys three irrational fears. You know what they are? Personal injury, external threat, and personal failure. See, the same fear can be rational or it can be irrational. It depends on if you are using that fear and applying common sense and applying prayer and you're avoiding the threat or if you're allowing that fear to control you, right? Or that anxiety to control you. I want to share some scripture of, of why I believe for Christians, for us, people that follow God, why these are also irrational or can be irrational. Now, personal injury. God gave us a brain, right? And we got to be careful. Matthew 6, uh, 25 through 34 says this. It says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 
Look at the birds of the air. They, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your lifespan? I would argue it's the opposite. If you're anxious, you're losing an hour of your lifespan. They say stress and anxiety is worse on the body than anything else, right? It says, why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor they spin. And I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And by the way, Gentiles to them would have meant unbelievers. It was non-Jews, but it would have meant unbelievers. So people that, that don't have the hope of God would, would seek after these things and worry about these things. But it says, your heavenly Father knows that you need them all, right? But... Matthew 6.33, but seek first. Instead of worrying, instead of having anxiety, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will just be added to you, right? Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow. Let me say that again. Do not be anxious for tomorrow. Do not be anxious for tomorrow. Do not be anxious for tomorrow. How many of you guys are anxious for tomorrow? Okay. Tomorrow ain't here yet. And so many of us are so focused on tomorrow that we are forgetting about the blessings today. We're forgetting to live life. We're forgetting to be thankful for what we have. We're forgetting to breathe and enjoy the moment that we have, right? This afternoon, you guys are going to go home. It's going to be nice weather. It's going to be a good day, right? And you can just enjoy it. You can love the people around you and be thankful for the people around you, right? So love God and seek him and seek his righteousness. And that will cause your fears to dissipate, to dissolve, right? Number two, external threats. God is our protector and provider, right? He really is. And I know that some of you believe that. And I know that a lot of what I'm saying is not new information, but it's a matter of just reorganizing our brain and just trusting God first, right? In the book of Joshua, we have um, an interesting story that starts off with Joshua uh, grabbing the baton from Moses. Moses had led the children of Israel out of Egypt through many miracles and through the desert, through many more miracles and the Ten Commandments and all this stuff and all these, all these amazing things that God taught the people as they wandered in the desert. And, they, and then God allowed Moses to lead them all the way up to the border of the Promised Land, which was the river, Jordan. But God didn't allow Moses to lead them all the way in. He had that job reserved for Joshua. And Joshua was second in charge, but he wasn't in charge, and so I can understand his anxiety, right? Personally, I understand it. But Joshua um, was given the keys at this point, and God said this to Joshua. He said in verse 5 of chapter 1, he said, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Now, these words were for Joshua at a specific time, specific place, but I believe these words are true for you and I as well. If God has called you according to his purpose, which he has, then these words are true for you also. It says, no man shall be able, no man shall be able to stand before you. 
See, you're a powerful, powerful human being because you have a powerful God that has your back, right? God goes on and says, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Kind of a big deal, God saying that, right? I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you hanging. Have I ever left you hanging? No. So I'm not going to start now, right? So in verse 6, it says, be strong and courageous. You can be strong and courageous because you know God's not going to leave you. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land, not just get over the river and get into the land, but you shall cause the people to inherit it and for their children to inherit it and their children to inherit it. I said it uh, Wednesday night, but we are all part of a story of God's story. It started in the garden and it's is not over yet. We're in the middle of it and God's going to complete his story. He's going to complete his thing, his work. And we are a part of that. And so often we complain and we think, well, where's my purpose? What are we going to do? When God's saying, you're in my purpose right now, and I'm going to finish it. You're either in the game. If you want to be on the field, you can be on the field. You're either in the game or you're not. It's your choice, but you have the opportunity. Anyway, I'm, I'm reading. Okay, so verse 7, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded to you. Do not, okay, turn from it, from the word, to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. The, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success by following the word. Now, I said it before. I'm going to say it again because I feel like it's misunderstood. But this right here is a Bible, right? This alone is not the word of God. Okay? It's not. And I can prove that to you right now just by saying that the people that were in the Bible didn't have a Bible. So, mind blow, right? Like they didn't have a Bible to walk around with. Especially these people in the Old Testament, they didn't have anything. They had a scroll in a, in a synagogue, right? And so they would hear the scriptures. But how many people throughout history have read and heard the scriptures, but never listened to what was being spoken? The word of God is when God speaks to you through the scriptures. The word of God is when the Holy Spirit inside of you resonates with, with what's in the scriptures. So if you read it just to memorize or you read just to be a smarty pants and to argue with people, you're, you're probably not really getting the word of God. But if you read this as a love letter from your God, from your father, and you realize that he is speaking to you through it, all of a sudden you're experiencing the word of God. This is why so many people read the Bible and say it doesn't work. It's because they never matched it with relationship. Relationship and the Bible equals connection with God, right? But just the Bible without relationship means absolutely nothing. James said, hey, you believe in God? And people are like, yeah, we believe in God. He said, good job, you're, you're on par with demons. Because they believe in God. But there's a difference. And, and I'm telling you, it's not easy to walk the walk. It's a lot easier to talk it, right? 
It's not easy to walk it. And I'll tell you from experience, it's messy when you walk it. And you fall a lot. I fall a lot. But you know what? I learned this from my dad. When you fall, you get right back up, right? Right back up. So this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then, right, then, when you walk by, and the rules were different for Joshua in the Old Testament, but when you walk by the word with the Holy Spirit in the Bible and prayer and fellowship and all these things, then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you once more, God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. King David wrote in Psalm 23, 4, even though, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I walk in dangerous places, even though I walk in this place that is confusing and difficult and, and hard, even though there are threats all around me, even though I am one step away from death, right? I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me, right? So are there external threats? You bet there are. Can someone kill your body? You bet they can. Honestly, the, the most dangerous thing you're going to do today is probably get in your car and get out on the freeway. It's a dangerous world out there. But you know what? God is with you wherever you go. Right? And I don't know about you, but that comforts me. Number three, personal failure. God doesn't want us to fail, but sometimes we make mistakes. Right? Sometimes we don't live our lives the way we should. Sometimes we, we blow it. And sometimes it seems like the end of the world. I don't know about you guys, but I've had a few end of, the, end of my world moments. I just had one a month ago. If I'm being honest, just thought it's all over. But in Romans 8, 28, and I believe this, it says we know that for those who love God, and that's one thing that I make sure to focus on and make sure not to miss. For those who love God, how many of you guys love God? How many of you know you, you could love him more, right? But we love him. We love him. And for those who love him, right, God causes all things to work together for good. Not just our good, but for the kingdom's good, right? For those who are called according to his purpose. We worry so much about our own purpose. But we are called to a higher purpose, which is his, right? So I'm going to play, um, we're going to play a short film now. I'm going to um, acknowledge the fact that some of us, we don't have a lot of fear in our lives for ourselves. But we have a lot of fear in our lives for others. Those of you that are parents. You have fear for your children because you know that you can't make them live their lives the way you want them to live their lives. And some of you have been, all, you've almost given up. Some of you have given up on your kids. Maybe they're adults and they've made so many wrong decisions. 
Well, I want to show you this film because I believe that's for you this morning. So let's watch this, and then I'm going to come back and finish, okay? Nobody wants to admit that they don't like their child. I mean, it's your kid. You love them. And I did love Graham, but he was, uh, he was hard. He was very, very hard. We met at church doing uh, some ministry together. We were a little bit older when we got married, so we talked about having children quickly. They were going to become Christians uh, at a very early age because we were going to have them in church and pray with them all the time. And I think 10 months after we were married, we had Graham. We took him home. He was healthy. He looked just like me. We didn't really have a comparison, so we didn't know exactly at the moment um, that that things were different. It wasn't that he was bad. He was just very, very, very active. He was moving around all the time, disrupting class, getting in trouble. I noticed too that he would not really play with the other kids. He didn't have friends. They would make fun of him. Just, uh, it was like he was haunted. We took him to the doctor and uh, he was diagnosed with ADHD. That may be true, but there's something social that we're missing. He wasn't disciplined. He wouldn't uh, listen. Okay, Graham needs a timeout or something. Here was this little person not doing anything that we said. We disciplined out of anger on several occasions. Graham, you need to get it and get out. It was scary, you know, sometimes to think, what are we doing? You know, we had a plan, but we felt very much out of control. We're spanking all the time, we're disciplined all the time, we're supposed to be having fun, we're supposed to have great relationships with our kids, and it's not turning out at all like we thought it was supposed to. Okay, let's get this finger. At 10 years old, he was diagnosed with Asperger syndrome, but instead of like a, a terrible news, it was kind of a relief. It was like, finally, I knew there was something else. When he was probably about 12, his behavior, it just was so overwhelming. I remember just going in my bedroom and being so exasperated. I just fell down on my bed and I just began sobbing and I cried out to God and I said, God, I'm tired of asking you to help me because I can't do it. You need to do it. It was pretty amazing because I heard him say in my spirit, Graham is going to get it. And I sat up and I looked around the room and I said, what? <laughs> and God said to me again, Graham is going to get it. And I said, okay, then I trust you that Graham's going to get it. And he didn't tell me what to do. He just gave me hope. I'm glad God <laughs> gave me that at that point because it was pretty much downhill after that. Around 13, Graham began using marijuana. He began the ritual of cutting himself to relieve anxiety. He would start fires in our house and we wouldn't know it. And then it was at that point that he and his dad got in a fight. We were fighting each other basically. And you know, I partly think it's my fault, but he ran out and he got a, a rock and he threw it and he hit me in the head. And I said, call 911. 
police said, that's enough, and we know you're gonna let him come back, but we're not. And so they actually put a restraining order on him, and he went to jail. I wanna have a friendship with him. As a dad, you know, I'm, I'm the guy that's uh, over the family, and that's what God anticipated it to be. But I still need to be friends and love. Shortly thereafter, he had some kind of emotional breakdown. He broke into a home and he got in trouble with a very strict county in Texas. For two years, they had him bouncing back and forth from the mental hospital to jail, back and forth. He did try to commit suicide several times. He cut himself several times. I can remember one time that he was bleeding out of consciousness because he cut his neck in several places. Every night I would wake up and I found myself just talking to God and telling him all the things I was scared about. They were not trusting prayers. They, they turned into uh, worry sessions. I wanted Graham to have peace and have joy. And then I thought, well, peace and joy is Jesus. That's a person. So I began to just pray, God, please let Graham experience you. That's really what he needs. He doesn't need mama to come and rescue him or daddy to come and uh, flip a bill and, and get him out of a jam. Uh, if he's in a jam, you are his rescuer and he has to experience you and I have to let him go to do that. But when he finally did get out, he decided that he was going to go to Colorado. Marijuana was gonna be his answer that was gonna give him peace, and he got a bus ticket, he went to Colorado. Colorado wasn't everything he thought, so he ended up hitchhiking to Portland, Oregon. Hit the bottom there too, didn't have anybody that he knew. We're actually on a vacation in Mexico during this time, and uh, Graham called us just half crazed. He was crying and screaming and, and mad because he had ran out of all of his medications and he was at a hospital and they wouldn't give him any more medications. I said, Graham, we can wire you some money, but there, there's nothing else we can do. He got upset, he hung up on me. And right before he hung up on me, he said, I'm gonna hurt somebody. I couldn't jump on a plane, I couldn't call him. He lost his phone, he called me from the hospital. There was nothing. This feels very bad. It feels like, it feels like the end. And so all we could do was pray. And instead of having my worry sessions in my prayer, um, I just, I cut it short. And, and I just told God, uh, he is so yours. And he's always been yours. I want so badly to go rescue him but I know you brought me here. I believe you brought me here for a reason and you took me out of the way and I need to trust that. So please help me just to let it go and to let you do your thing with him. And amazingly, I closed my eyes and I fell asleep. I actually took a nap. I mean like right away. And I don't nap, <laughs> never nap. God just flooded me with peace right in the middle of the hugest storm. We were in Cabo for two weeks. We came home and I brought my mind back to my son. However, 
we can do it. We have to get plane tickets and go to Portland, and it may be that we find him in a morgue. We had just to trust God, period. Come on, get it. So two and a half weeks later, I got a call from California. I answered it, and I heard Graham. He called me and he said, Mom, I lost everything. Someone stole my backpack, and I was just on the street, and I couldn't call you. I didn't have any money, I didn't have my ID, I didn't have anything. He said, I knew I didn't know anybody for thousands of miles, but I knew God. I was in Sacramento. I had just hopped a freight train down with a bunch of people from Portland. And I had this like vision. Some of it might have been a dream, but I saw like hell. And it wasn't just this place where people were eternally tortured. It was this place where people chose to do things their own way. And to live without God because they didn't want to be with their creator, so they didn't get to live with him ever. And everyone there wanted a relationship with this creator now. The next day, I was so filled with compassion and love for other people that the people I was hanging out with couldn't stand to be around me. They actually kicked me out of their group because of the transformation that happened overnight that night. Graham had experienced God. It's pretty amazing. At this time, I was still using uh, medical marijuana to treat my anxiety, bipolar disorder. I remember very clearly, God showed me what my life would look like if he did heal me and what it would look like if he didn't. And the difference was extreme, and uh, he gave me a choice. He also made that choice very easy. Amazing transformation since then. Graham is off of all his medication. He's off of all drugs. He's walking with the Lord. What we've prayed at his youth has come to pass in his older age. Who died on the cross for you? And that's who God's son is, isn't it? Jesus is the only source of peace that I have found. What I used to trust God for was an outcome, was what I was praying for, that I trust that that would happen. And now it's not about the outcome, but it's about trusting God for trusting God. He knew how far to go with Graham. He knew when and how and where Graham was gonna respond. And he did it. And I'm very, very grateful.
Don't give up hope, guys. 1 Peter 5, 6 says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You know God cares for you, and he cares for your kids, and he cares for your siblings and your spouses and your neighbors, right? And those people that you've been praying for for a long time. He cares. When the anxiety comes for others, cast it upon him. When the anxiety comes for yourself, cast it upon him because he cares. And when you do that, after you've done that, you can be, like it says in verse 8, be sober-minded and watchful because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But, in verse 9, it says, resist him firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now this idea of a lion, the devil being a lion roaring around, right? I uh, said that I've seen a lion in the wild before. And what shocked me was how quiet it was and how swift they are. If you get attacked by a lion in the woods, today it's going to attack you from behind, right? It's going to come up and get you from, from the back. It's going to sneak up on you. You're not going to see it coming. But what's interesting is that Peter doesn't paint that picture of a lion. He paints the picture of a lion that's roaring, that's upset. And when I think of that kind of lion, I think of a lion that's caged, that's in a cage, that's, that's, that's stuck, that's upset, that's frustrated. And to me, that's what the devil is. He's just a caged lion, roaring aloud and trying to scare us. But in the end, he has zero power against you. Zero. All he can do is make you afraid and make you live your life in fear. But instead of doing that, Cast your anxieties upon him and then stand there and stare that lion in the face and say, nope, not today. Ain't going to happen, right? God is good. At the beginning, I talked about using fear to your advantage. And this is the next level stuff. So we got to this point. Here's the next level. If you want to take it further, learn how to do this, okay? In Psalm 111.10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Those who practice it have good, uh, good understanding. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and knowledge. Proverbs 14.26 says, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have refuge. If you really want to learn how to utilize fear, start fearing God. Put your fear in God. And start understanding how big he is and how mighty he is and how wonderful he is and how amazing he is. And then if your focus is on him, everything else is going to be, seem so much smaller, right? So let's live in confidence. Let's be a church that walks forward even when you don't want to, even when you don't feel it. I looked up the definition of fear in the dictionary before this service. I didn't do it last service, but it said fear is a feeling. It's just a feeling. It's just a feeling. You have control over that. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this day. 
Lord, we just take our anxieties, whatever's bothering us, we lay them aside. And we acknowledge you. We receive what you have for us. We love you. We need you. And Lord, even though it's been a rough go the last couple of years for everyone, Lord, we're going to stand firm. We're going to stick with it. We're going to stay in your will. Even though it's difficult, even though it's hard, we're going to do it because we know that the silver lining is at the end, Lord, that you will deliver us once and for all. And if you're here today and you haven't given your life to the Lord and you want to do that, there are people up here in front that will pray with you and explain to you what that means. So don't let a minute go by before you come up and talk to these guys. Lord, I love you, God, so much. Thank you so much for just personally being there for me. Thank you for being there for us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message has ministered to your heart. If you don't already have a church you call home, we invite you to join us at Valley Bible Fellowship for worship, Bible study, fellowship, and more. We're at 2300 East Brundage Lane in Bakersfield, California, near Mount Vernon and Freeway 58. Reach us by phone at 661-325-2251 or visit our website at vbf.org. Here is our King, here is our love, here is our